hope set on him, why don't you just shout out his name right now? If you got your hope set on him, why don't you just shout out that name right now? Jesus, you are the everlasting one, the everlasting God. He picked you up, he turned you around, he put your feet on solid ground. He changed my heart, changed my name, forever free, I'm not the same. Thank I thank God. It's good to be in the house of the Lord today. I'm going to the book of John, chapter number 6. And while you're turning there, I want to give a big shout-out and a thank you to the snow team for this weekend. Thank you for clearing the walks and shoveling and doing all that stuff and throwing the salt. And uh, it's difficult to keep up with that stuff. And uh, we had them here yesterday and then again early this morning. It always, if it's going to snow, it's always going to do it right in the middle, right, you know, right, right there, Saturday into Sunday. Why, why can't it do it on, why can't it do it on Tuesday night? Yeah, I am talking to you, brother, but I'll talk some more. I love it. I love it. And uh, so thank you to the snow team. And of course, we have great board members. You know, you may not realize this, but uh, those that remove the snow and do those things, uh, that, that team is headed up by board members of this church. And uh, board members of the assembly are not just people who have uh, a higher vote. Um, it is, uh, it, they, they take care of the upkeep of this church in the summer and in the winter. And we thank them. The Christmas for Christ offering, if you have been giving and putting in the, in the box back there, it goes to uh, uh, North American missions. It goes to preaching points and starting and helping congregations that are just starting out in cities that don't have a church, uh, that don't have a voice, uh, that don't have the message. And we are endeavoring to spread that around this, this uh, country, and especially in the state of Michigan, uh, with the goal uh, to start 30 new works here in the state of Michigan. And uh, so it is a large goal. It's a large dream. But if your dream doesn't scare you, then it's not from God. If you can do it, then it didn't come from God. God gives us impossible tasks because the end game is we have to trust him to, to really show up. And um, I, wanna, I want to let you know that there will be an official Christmas for Christ offering on February 4th. That's three weeks from today. We will take an official offering. So if you want to wait until then, that's fine. I would say that the message has already been preached today. Uh, it has already been preached. The songs that we sang could have been every one of my bullet points and everything I've already got written here just it was in music form and uh, I want to tell Sister Laura the music team uh, for several weeks it, it has been like that it's been on point if you're paying attention and listening and watching what the words of the songs are and what's happening uh, I, I thank you for being mindful and being led of the Lord uh, in the songs that you choose for this congregation because we don't talk ahead of time if I have a special song, I'll say, hey, I'd like to sing this song, but that happens once every leap year, I guess. Um, so thank you. But the message has already been preached, so I guess I'm just here to reiterate. So having said that, maybe we can be a little quicker today. Someone said amen. Bishop Traxel used to say, let's get it started so we can get it over with. And somewhere in between, let's have the Lord move and everything will be all right. John chapter 6, verse number 64 but there are some of you that do not believe. For Jesus knew from the beginning who they were that would not and those who would betray him. Verse 66, 
And from that time, many of his disciples went back and know, and walked no more with him. And they said unto Jesus, or then said Jesus unto the twelve, Are you going to leave too? Then Simon Peter stood up and he said, Lord, to whom will we go? For you have the words of eternal life. And we believe and we are sure that you are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. I want to minister today. I've got something direct from the Lord that I had in my spirit some time ago. And he reminded me of some of these things I wrote. And, uh, and it just kind of began to flow. And I, I want to minister today on, I want to preach about our backup plan. I want to minister today with the help of the Lord on our backup plan. Look at your neighbor and just say, ask him, say, what's your backup plan? You can be seated. You can be seated. Backup plans are, are good things, you know. As a matter of fact, there are some, the, there are some really top business schools. One of them, the Essex, Essex Business School, has in their curriculum uh, and I quote from one of their classes, it's important to focus your energy on your main plan or your primary target and then develop a backup plan. Because your backup plan can be a stepping stone position to get, that gets you closer to your target role. A well-formulated backup plan can also help you manage the stress of a job search. Uh, another one that I, I have read often and looked to for many things, the Harvard Business Review, some pretty good things in there from time to time. They said this, well, the question was asked, but aren't we taught the importance of not putting all our eggs in one basket? There are certainly important benefits to making backup plans, and one is the psychological comfort that it brings. People think, I'm going to be okay even if I fail because then I can do X, Y, or Z. And any businessman in the room and and, and, and even any normal human would tell you, that's not bad advice. That's, that's not bad advice, okay? It's not bad for business. That's not a bad business plan. Uh, the issue for us, Isaiah the prophet said this, the Lord, the king of Israel said, his redeemer, the Lord of hosts, I am the first, I'm the last, and beside me there is no God. The issue for us is that there is no backup plan with God or the kingdom. There is no backup plan. And while on one hand, it's good to think about having a backup plan, the issue that we have to wrestle with from time to time and learn to put it in its place where it needs to be is that there's no backup plan in the kingdom. The scripture's clear. In him, we live, we move, and we have our being. You know, Paul, speaking of the children of Israel, the Bible refers to them as the church in the wilderness. Paul said that the things uh, that are written to us about them were an example unto us. In the prophet Isaiah, he said, the Lord speaking on Israel's uh, foolishness to develop a backup plan, 
He said, who is it that forms a god or a molten or a graven image that's profitable for nothing? He feeds on ashes and a deceived heart turns him aside. He can't deliver the soul. He doesn't understand that there's a lie at his right hand. When you look to someone outside of me, the Lord is saying, it's, a, it's, not, a, it's not a real good plan because it becomes a backup plan. And God has stated very emphatically, I'm the only one. There wasn't one before me. I didn't come with a better plan, and there's not one after me that can revise the plan. I am the only one. I think it's important for us to note the Creator's definition of idolatry. Uh, for the sake of the message today, I might say the Creator's definition maybe of a backup plan. I'm taking some liberty here, I realize, so just allow me, if you will, just, just a little bit. And the Creator's definition of idolatry really is anything to which we ascribe a power of deliverance. Think about that. The, definition's crea- uh, the Creator's definition of idolatry is anything to which we ascribe a power of deliverance. I don't know of any believer today that worships figures of stone or, or wood or gold or silver. But I have sensed over my time, my short time on this earth and watching the things that are happening toward the end days, there is a rise of sources that many have given the power of deliverance to. Even been guilty of of being in this area from time to time ourselves, even as the most mature believers. But there's a rise of some sources that we have ascribed some form of a power to deliver us. Namely, money, maybe money, health insurance, social security, drugs, alcohol, entertainment, social circles, or maybe my social media status is where I'm tempted to get my self-worth and so on and so on. And don't read into anything that I say. I am so glad. Matter of fact, I reached today and I did not bring, see, I didn't even plan this. I forgot to bring my money clip. And so I've got a quarter in my pocket right now. You know, it's a good thing that I didn't need a hundred bucks right now. Now, I could probably look to you for some help, but if you weren't here and I absolutely needed it, I only got one help. I only got one source. I either need the Lord to miraculously give me a hundred bucks or somebody got to give me a little grace to get them the money or whatever I need. But you understand what I'm saying, that uh, we can ascribe some power of deliverance depending on how many, uh, how many zeros are after the one in our bank accounts. Sometimes we can rely on health insurance as our backup plan. And again, I'm not telling you to cancel your health insurance. I am thankful. I am thankful. But I think you understand what we're talking about. When we ascribe a deliverance to things, we then begin to lean on a backup plan. It's quoted, it's quoted in one of the journals that saviors like these campaign for our allegiance TV commercials promote the power to deliver. Try me. Let this heal your pain. Uh, man, them food commercials come on, and, and, and unless you just ate, you know how you got to resist. You know, fast food, they're the savior for what, what ails you right now. Here, look, look at this. This is your answer. You ain't got to look any further. You buy me 
and you get this, and, and I'll deliver you. I'll, I'll take care of it. Can anybody ever watched a, a, a program on the radio, and uh, all those commercials were coming at you, and uh, you got tempted to buy this or this? Hey, do this. If you do this, act now. First callers in the next 25 seconds are going to receive $100 million in gold bar. Buy me. Depend on this. I will admit that depending on God alone can be a risky proposition. I have got a word from the Lord for the modern day church today. I've got a word of the Lord for the people that are under the sound of my voice today. Depending on God can be a risky proposition. Absolutely. When you say, Jesus, take the wheel, get ready. He doesn't take the path of least resistance. The Lord doesn't take the path of, of, of that's most traveled. He takes you to some places where you're thinking, what in the world are we doing here? I love it. Jesus is my co-pilot. No, that's a, that means you're the backup plan. Or he's the backup plan. Jesus ain't my co-pilot. If you say, Jesus, take the wheel, oh, it can be a risky proposition. Read the Bible. It can be a risky proposition because we're required to walk by faith and not by sight. And everything in this world says walk by your senses, how you feel. As a matter of fact, we come into the house of God and, and many times we have to push through. And I say we, sometimes we got to push through in our worship and our thanks to him. We got to push through how we feel sometimes and go to the truth of worshiping him for who he is. And he deserves the glory. We are called to walk in his declared will. We are not called to walk in a backup plan. I know people, and I have even been one of those people, that you get in that place. I remember. I remember when the Lord spoke to me in that classroom at More Life Tabernacle real early in the morning. And he said to me, I did not call you to own your own business. You're supposed to be mine full time. I need you to lay down your nets and follow me. And I knew what that meant, and I went, uh-oh. Now, there was a grace that came to me at that moment. Nobody makes those decisions in your own power. God will always grace us if he tells us to do something. He'll always do it. So there was a strengthening there, but I'll tell you what, it didn't take very long for fear to, to come in. Oh, Lord, you mean, wait, a, I got to depend on what now for my income because I was the sole breadwinner in our family, and, and, uh, and, and I got to go home and tell my wife, hey, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to sell the business. As a matter of fact, I'm not even going to sell it. I'm just going to give it away. I'm just going to give it away. God, the Lord didn't tell me to sell it. Could have been a good backup plan if I'd have thought of it. He just said, lay your nets down. So I said, you know what? I'm going to pray about this. I need to make sure I heard from the Lord. So I, I know that there are some of you, you're there right now. And you've been, and I, I know what it's like to be one of those people, that you're in a place where you say, God, you alone are my helper. God, you alone are my strength. And if you don't heal me, I won't get healed. And God, if you don't deliver me, I will not be delivered. If, Lord, if you don't do this, it just simply won't get done. How many in the building, you might have been in a place where you told the Lord, I'm broken without your wholeness. I am helpless without your strength. And without you, oh, Lord, I can do nothing. I have had to tell the Lord, I have no recourse, Lord. I have no plan B. I I've got no plan B. I've got no backup plan, Lord. 
Now make no mistake, this kingdom way of thinking and acting is not popular, nor is it promoted. And unfortunately, it's not even popular and promoted in the modern do-it-as-you-want-to church of God. It's not popular. It's not promoted. And you actually, from time to time, do have to swim against the cultural currents just to live where God answers prayer. But there's something Powerful that happens when an individual will look at all the other sources and saviors and say, No, God alone is my deliverer. You want to know, oh my goodness, my goodness, God alone, you're my deliverer. I want you to know something. I'm preaching something that until you get here, until this is your spirit, you're going to struggle mightily in the kingdom of God. We live in a world that if we're not careful, I got some businessmen in here, our business sense will think that that's how we got to run the church or run our life. And we don't. Now, God does have a business, but God doesn't have a backup plan. God, oh, I feel the help in the Holy Ghost. When he started this, he said, well, if this fails, then I can just do this. Oh, no, no, no. When he laid it out from the very beginning, he looked at from the eternal past to eternity future, and he looked at all of it, and he said, it's good. It's going to work perfectly. God did not develop a backup plan. <laughs> There's something powerful that happens. To an individual, you're standing there and all the other suitors. No, I, I wish I had my money clip because in my flesh, it's a lot better. I thank the Lord. I'm, I'm glad I Freddie Flintstone some cars. And that means you move, remove the floor mat, you can see the road. Don't, don't step there because you're going down, clown. I've been in vehicles where you had to get out the driver's side, but you couldn't get in the driver's side. You get in the passenger side, but you couldn't get out the passenger side. I've been in, and, and, and I've driven nice vehicles, new off the lot. I've been blessed. I thank the Lord for those things. But it's, but it's coming to an understanding that none of those things can we ascribe the power to deliver us. It, I am at this point, I don't even need a car to preach a revival in Zimbabwe. No, I don't, because my Bible tells me that there was a man named Philip that the Lord needed him to catch up to a chariot. Now, you tell me how a man ran up and caught to a chariot. And when he did get there, then the Lord said, I need you somewhere else. And you know what happened? The Lord caught him up, picked him up out of there, and took him over and gave him a plane air ride. He gave him the first airplane ride, but it was a plane air ride then. And he put him in another place. You know why? Because God doesn't need a backup plan. I'm just here to tell somebody in the building today, God doesn't need our backup plan. He doesn't need us to bankroll his kingdom. He doesn't need us to add anything to it. All he needs is somebody who will say, Lord, my hope is only in you. My strength is in you. If it's gonna get done, it's gonna get done because you do it. I know I'm battling hell right now. I'm battling antichrist. I am battling the spirit of the world. 
But I'm here to tell you something right now. God doesn't have a backup plan, and his plan's going to work. And if you want it to work for you, you come to the place where you say, Lord, you are my only hope. You are my only strength. Don't read into anything that I'm saying. But when I need something, you know where I want to go? I want to go to the Lord. And if I can't, I thank the Lord for the extras that we have in this country. But if I ascribe the power to deliver me in those things... I have made that thing God. I have given that God's place of deliverance. Now here comes the fleshly guy. Here comes the fleshly mind. Well, but sometimes God uses, yeah, let God use it. Let God determine that that's what I'm using and not me. I think that's pretty good advice. Uh Uh-oh. I'm going to get turbulent for just a couple seconds here. There's a term in our society, making the rounds, got a lot of leg work. It's called woke. A lot of catchphrases. Go woke, go broke. And and if you ask people what woke means, you're going to get a bunch of definitions. But let me give you the basic definition of what woke means. Woke simply means becoming alert to societal injustices and then doing something about it. That doesn't seem like a bad deal to me. Becoming alert to societal injustices and then acting to do something about it. Seems pretty good. The issue in our day is that the owner's manual is no longer the definer of injustice. Society itself has become the definer of what is an injustice, even to the point that taking up for this book is an injustice. Saying certain things from this book and preaching a message online on Facebook can get you banned. It's happening all over the country. I see it all the time in my feeds from pastors and churches saying, hey, man, did anybody else get a message like this? You know, hate speech and all this. They shut us down. They stop. I'm telling you, folks, we, we, we need to shake the dust off of us and begin to realize that we're getting put into a corner where we can't have a backup plan. Society has determined that standing up for the word of God is a social injustice. Now, here's the issue in our midst and even in the world. There is a political agenda that has taken a hold of looking at a societal injustice and acting on it, which is a good thing. Somebody being done unjustly and being wrong, you step and say, hey, man, I want to no, let's not treat our brother like that. Let's not treat our sister like that. To the point now where politics has gotten involved, and there's now a political agenda. And the political agenda behind wokeness is to promote and even create societal injustices in order to separate and divide people against one another to the point of causing people to feel alone and isolated with one end game. And the end game is the plan B. It's where the government of Antichrist becomes society's savior. Ladies and gentlemen, that's the agenda. And that's where it's going. It takes God's things and it corrupts them. Well, what does that mean for us? Well, there is a testing among believers. And it is suggesting that God's way isn't in our best interest. Somebody hear me today. 
There is a spirit of Antichrist that is sent into the flock to divide people from the flock, to isolate them into feeling alone. It's the same spirit that came against Elijah. Now, I want to be kind right here uh, because there are some that you're, you're, you're a new believer and you're brand new in this and you haven't walked. You, you know, in order to have trust and faith in the Lord, that trust and faith has to be tried. Any gym goers in the building? Only one or two. Paul says bodily exercise profits little. He didn't say it didn't profit at all. He just said it profits little. But how many of you going to build muscle and never, never move your arms? Never pick up a weight? Oh, no, somebody came in my office today and said, man, I put up 215. I said, man, I put up 320. You know, everybody has that friend that if you did 300, they did 310. And if you met four presidents, they met five. Everybody's got a friend like that. You worked on the world's tallest skyscraper, and somebody said, well, I've been higher than that. I don't know how that's possible. But we all have that friend. I did this. You, 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 don't, you don't lift 215, started at 215. You had to build your muscles. Somebody hear me in the Holy Ghost. Somebody hear me in the kingdom of God. If you want to have great faith, you've got to exercise that faith. And to exercise that faith, you've got to be put in a position where you have to give your faith, where you've got to trust God. And God, my faith doesn't get built when I use my backup plan. You know what happens? My faith in me gets built. Good backup plan, Brian. But my backup plan is not what is going to get me to heaven. My backup plan is not the firm foundation. Foundation. His plan is the firm foundation. My, 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 my. So I want to be kind here. And there are others I want to say, listen. I want to, I want to say, listen. If you've got that spirit on you making you feel alone, and there's some people who have not been in, in the kingdom long enough to get a maturity and to build their faith, can I just tell you, come on, get up. Come on, dust yourself off. You're, you're not alone. God's got a whole army of people. I want to say that to the, to the, to the newborn believer and maybe the, the one that hasn't been amongst us very long. But, but to the Elijahs that are among us, we've been in this thing since the Dead Sea was only sick. We've been in this thing so long that, 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 that when Moses left the burning bush, one of our ancestors came around that side and the bush was still smoldering. That's how long some of our ancestry has been in this thing. Can I say to those of us, those of us that are being tested by this, rise up. Cut it out, Elijah. You're not alone. I've got 7,000 that haven't bowed a knee to Baal. You're not alone in this. So to the newborn believer, to the newborn believer, I want to say, come on, get with it. You can do it. You can do this. But to those of us that have been in this thing since we were knee high to Buck Rogers, as the saying used to go, let me say to us, cut it out. Stop feeling like you're alone. Stop acting like you're the only one that goes through this. God's got a whole army of people all over this world that are not bowing their knee to a backup plan. And let me say this, besides, even if you were the only one, that's enough. Yahovah says, all I had was Noah. All I had was Abraham. All I had was Yeshua, the Messiah, <laughs> the only man in all creation to do my will perfectly. And I sacrificed him for you. Why? So you could be assured that you don't need a backup plan. Oh, somebody hear me. The grave is empty, 
and there's eyewitnesses that wrote the scriptures for one reason, to assure us we don't need a backup. I wonder if there's somebody in the house that you can get bold enough to praise God and say, Lord, my assurance isn't in the music. My assurance isn't in the preaching. My assurance isn't in the program. My assurance is in the plan. And it doesn't need, I, somebody, will you tell God right now, I don't need a backup plan. I don't need a backup plan. I'm telling you, there's revelation in this house today that will actually turn your world right side up. There's understanding in this house that if we will let go of our pride and we'll finally admit that we are that we are filthy rags before God and there's not one thing that any of you or any of us has on our resume that will impress God. If we'll come to that place where we just completely trust him, there is something dynamic and powerful and revelatory that moves into your life. And when you realize it, there ain't nobody can tell you different. We don't need a backup plan. The grave's empty. <laughs> you think the grave's empty so we can have a good resurrection Sunday service? No, the grave's empty to assure us that you don't need a backup plan. We've got eyewitnesses that wrote the accounts and they've been preserved down through the canon of scripture that were eyewitnesses who said, we saw him, we handled him. And everything that is written in this book, I have written it so that you might believe and that through believing you might find salvation in his name. We have eyewitnesses so that you might believe that God sent a plan to which you don't need a backup plan. Praise the name of the Lord. I rise tonight, today, this afternoon in this pulpit under a great burden of the Lord. I rise here to say that those who, de who dare to declare that God alone is your help, you rise to declare I have no backup plan. You are not alone. Bartimaeus didn't have a backup plan. The woman with the issue of blood tried her backup plan first and spent all she had and was near the worst. You know what that means for us today? You can go ahead and try it any way you want to do it, but doing it the world's way is just going to make you worse until you get a hold of Jesus and let him do the work that only he can do. She pressed through and she was determined because she had spent all. She had no other hope. The Syrophoenician woman came to Jesus and said, my daughter's vexed with the devil. He said, eh, yeah, anybody ever get that response from the Lord? Eh, you're not the first one he gave that response to. The difference may very well be how we react to that response. She said, I can't go anywhere. I've got nowhere else to go. 
And it's true, it's true, it's true that the meat belongs to the children. But those dogs, they get the crumbs that fall down. And what she was saying is, if just one crumb from you, Jesus, is better than all the plans in the world. And he said, whoa, this woman's got faith. Faith in what? The plan. Oh, my, 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 no, no, you didn't hear me. Faith in the plan. Go, your daughter's healed. Oh, here's a good one. The father has a son that's possessed, throws himself in the fire. He says, Jesus, I brought him to your preachers, and they couldn't help me. Oh, boy, I'm going to hit us pastors and preachers here for a moment. Boy, I tell you what, here we go. I brought him to the preacher, and the preachers couldn't help me. Oh, now I know they ask, why couldn't we do it? And he said, because of your unbelief. But you'll notice right then, Jesus said, bring him to me. Let me, let me take care of this. You know, um, let me tell you something. It's in the way back in the Old Testament law. Moses said, man, Lord, all these people are coming to me. They've got all this stuff. They've got all these, uh, well, Moses called them complaints, and maybe they're gripes and complaints or needs or whatever. But you see, understand something. When it's a lust of our flesh, it's a gripe. When it's a lust of our flesh, when it's part of our backup plan, it's a gripe and a complaint. This ain't going the way that I would like for it to go. When it's a need, then we're, we can feel free to call it out to the Lord. But your need needs to line up with the plan, not with your wants. You see, because our wants and our desires and our lusts then become gripes and complaints. And that's what Moses said, Lord, I got all these people coming to me, and, they, and they're, they're wearing me out, and, I, and I, I can't handle this. Moses said, I, I don't think this was part of the plan. You know, we have in the modern church, let me just tell you where pastors are. Pastors are leaders. Preachers are leaders. The fivefold ministry, pastor, evangelist, teacher, apostle, prophet, those are leaders to help Perfect us and mature us and to edify us. You are never called in the scripture to put your hope in a preacher. The preacher is not, the preacher has become our backup plan. If I can get to him because I know he prays or I know she prays, we need to cut that out. That's not the plan. The plan is come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden. Because here's a newsflash. Here's a newsflash. The preacher can't always do it. And woe unto us when we're relying on him or her to pray it through. But when you rely on him, when your hope is in him, when you say, I got to not knock on the pastor's door, I got to touch the hem of his garment. Imagine being the man at Gadara who was possessed with a legion of devils every day crying in the tombs, naked and cutting himself and screaming and being tormented only for the one day for Jesus to show up. He had no backup plan. He had no, he had no way to get out. You had Lazarus who had been dead for four days and only Jesus could resurrect him. And when he did, Jesus said, loose him and let him go. Oh, what a joy it is for you to depend that you 
you once were dead in trespasses and sins and all of your life you laid in a devil's tomb on your way to hell and the resurrection and the life came one day and said so and so come forth you don't have to live in that tomb of sin anymore and when he brought you out you rose up out of that grave and he said loose him and let him go you now have a brand new life to live you don't have to be bound by those things anymore Lazarus didn't have, he didn't have a backup plan. How about Daniel? How about the three Hebrew young men? I know we call them children, but they weren't. Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego. How about David? Whether it was a den of lions, a fire, a furnace of fire, or a colossal giant, they all had no backup plan. How did it work for them? I may bring him up a little bit later. How did it work out for Daniel? How did it work out for everyone in Scripture that said, Lord, you're the only? Son, I'm going to tell you something. And since you're my boy and won't get embarrassed this, I can do this. But if it fits anywhere else, so be it. There's only one hope. Only one hope for your home. You don't have to live perfectly. You hear me? You need to live like that's your only hope. Pray like that's your only hope. Sometimes we got to go and in there and we got to say, Lord, watch that. I might be a little weak there. Or the Sims had to repair some wall panel over here. You're banging on that door, and you're saying, "Lord, I gotta have." You know, if you don't touch my, if you don't touch my, my, my home, it'll never get whole. If you don't do this, it'll never get whole. If you don't do, you know what I do sometimes when I go, and, I, and I've said this before, I go into your bathroom, and every once in a while, I'll say, "Lord, there's scriptures written on the on the on the foundation of this home. There's the your word is written behind these walls, and I call on that name and say, "Lord, if you don't do it, there is no hope." But I also know this. But woo, when He does do. It. Wow, when he does do it. Wow, when God does do the work. But it's awful hard for God to show his power when you're only letting him run on three cylinders instead of eight because you got control of the other five. Oh, if we ever needed a self-examination, it's right now, Lord. What in my life am I ascribing a power to deliver me? What am I putting in my what, what am I putting in my own hands that I'm that I've taken out of your hands and I put in mine? I'm telling you, there is something dynamic that happens to the individual. I, you don't have to stand and yell it, and I know I'm being passionate about it, but sometimes all you've got to do is muster enough out of your heart to stand your ground and say, Lord, if you don't help me, this will not get done. If you don't do it, Lord, it will not get done. And it takes a boldness of courage to stand up and say, I have no backup plan. And it takes even more courage and more boldness to squeeze the backup plan, wad up the one that you have created, throw it in the trash and say, Lord, now I really don't have a backup plan. It takes something to trust the Lord. But I want to tell you this, the only way you're going to get there is if you're totally relied on him. 
There's not one thing you can do to be saved and not one thing that you can do to earn credits with God. It's his plan. I would like for us to make a note that anyone that you've seen the hand of the Lord, his glory, his power, those that we read about that we said in scripture and countless others in scripture, not one of them had the odds in their favor. It's okay to run. It's okay to take refuge. To whom or to what will we run? But he that dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. I will say to the Lord, you are my refuge and my fortress. You are my God and in you alone will I trust. Surely you will deliver me. I want to say this before I close. I was in my office today and this hit me. I think we need to come to grips with the back. I think we need to come to grips with the real plan for sin in this world. The real plan for sin was Jesus Christ being crucified on a cross and his blood spilled. The plan of God is that the innocent party would take the judgment for the guilty party. And in doing so, reconcile all of mankind back to God. One scripture says that God purchased the church with his own blood. He manifested himself in a body, dwelt among us, so that God who is spirit and cannot die could himself pay the price which only was blood. Blood was the only legal liquid that could pay the penalty, could pay the price. And it couldn't be just any blood. The blood of bulls and goats couldn't do it. That was only a reminder, a constant reminder down through the centuries that, the, that, that you still owed the penalty until Christ came. That's the plan for sin. I want to talk to this real briefly and then I'll close. You know what the backup plan for sin is? And it's very easy to get into this backup plan. And I don't know anybody who hasn't struggled with it, including myself. The backup plan is when we begin to rely on ourselves not to sin. The backup plan is once we are filled with the Spirit of God, we then think we are the ones who have to deal with sin. Oh, I got the attention now. I'm fixing the Lord, the Spirit of the Lord is fixing to set somebody free in this building today. If you'll just believe how He said it. After we're filled with the Spirit, we're called out of darkness into His marvelous light, and He says, put off the old life and the former conversations and all that stuff, and automatically we think that the secret to not sinning is focusing on not sinning. Paul said that's not how it works. Paul said there's one way not to sin. Follow the Spirit. You see, the backup plan is I dot the I's and I cross the T's. Oh, my, 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 my. Oh, hear me right now. We have the backup plan that says I'm the one 
who has the power. I'm the one who doesn't sin. Until you fail. And here's what happens. Oh, here. We come in, down, our conscience, we can't lift our head before God because we sin. And a matter of fact, the devil even tries to keep us away from coming to God. Don't dare go pray. See, that's a backup plan. That's a backup plan. Don't dare come because you didn't dot the I and you didn't cross the T. That's the backup plan. Well, yeah, De- but Pastor, doesn't sin separate us from God? Absolutely sin separates us from God. But I am not the same as an unbeliever who's living in sin. I'm, oh, you hear me. I, you, I, we are not the same. I've got an advocate. I would, little children, that you do not sin, but if you do, you've got an advocate. That doesn't mean you need to stabilize your ship. No, that means you need to run to the advocate. I've got an advocate. I don't have to hang my head. I only hang my head when when I'm relying on me to do it right. But when I turn to him, I sinned, I failed, I messed it up. I don't have to hang my head because I am complete in Christ. Oh, hear me, somebody hear me. We've got this whole dilemma on us and this condemnation nation that says you got to dot the I's and you got to cross the T's. You will never live an overcoming life over sin by focusing on not sinning. There's only one way to live an overcoming life. That is to get up close to Jesus and let him change you and let him live through you. And if you stub your toe, I have an advocate. I'm not saying it's okay to sin. I'm saying I'm not glorifying sin by that. I'm glorifying the advocate. We come into churches with condemnation. Condemnation does not come from God. There is therefore no condemnation to those who are in Christ. You know why? Because my judgment has already been poured out on Christ. And there's one way to get out of from underneath that. Start working a backup plan. But as for me and my house, I'm going to keep going to the advocate. The Lord reminded me in my secret place this, this, this week, a couple of days ago, he said, you, don't, you, 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 you do not overcome sin by focusing on not sinning because then you're the one doing it. But if you'll focus on me and that spirit that lives within you, my spirit, and you let my life be lived out through you, if you follow the spirit, you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. And guess who it is that's overcoming in you? It's never about us. That doesn't justify sin. That justifies the plan that God had to take care of sin. He put it in the hands of one man, the first Adam, and he failed. Oh, but that second Adam, he didn't fail. Oh, the plan of God. Oh, the plan of God. I close with this. Music, get ready to come. Give me a couple of minutes here. In Matthew chapter 14, Jesus is admonishing his disciples to get in a boat. Go ahead. I want you to go before me unto the other side. Get in the boat, boys. I want you to go ahead of me into the other side. You know, sometimes we're just waiting for the Lord, and sometimes he's just saying, no, go ahead of me. I'll catch up to you. Because signs... Follow the one who's going. Signs don't precede it. They, they follow. 
go ahead of me, boys. And if you look at the scripture, the Lord sent the people away. The Lord sent, he told the boys, go. Get in the boat, boys. Head off. Go over to the other side. I'll meet you. Then Jesus sent the multitudes away. Then he went into a mountain to pray. I've been to Israel. You've got to go a little way for, to hit a mountain. And then nighttime comes. And so he tells them to get in the boat, travel to the other side, which at greatest distance was seven miles. And yet Jesus sends the multitudes away. He finishes up with these, sends them away. He goes into a mountain. He prays, you know. He has his prayer, he prays, and then nighttime comes, and then he done gets done praying, and here he comes, and the boys are still in the water on the boat. What in the world took him so long to get in a boat to travel across the sea? I just wonder if they were just kind of dragging their heels. I just wonder if they were just kind of, kind of, just kind of, I'll get there when I get there. Because I've been there. It doesn't take that long to go, to go across that, that. You've been there. It doesn't take that long to go to the other side. I mean, Jesus sent multitudes away. He went and prayed. I think Jesus prayed longer than lay me down to sleep. I think he prayed. And all of a sudden, the winds start blowing. It's boisterous on the lake. And in the night, they see somebody walking on the water. And Jesus, and they cry out. And he says, it's me. Don't fear. There's no need to fear. I'm the plan. I like what Bishop Stoner said about the one where Jesus was sleeping in the boat. And they woke him up and said, don't you care that we perish? Jesus stands up and says, do you boys think this boat's going down with me in it? It's time that we start living like God's real. That this thing's not going down with him in it. You only have one fear of going down if he's not in there with you. Or you go to a backup plan. Wind starts blowing. It's boisterous. And then when he says it's no need to fear, then Peter says, well, Lord, if it's you, bid me come out of this boat. If it's really you, if you're the plan, then let me get out of this boat. Bid me come to you on the water. And Jesus said, before the price is right ever coined it Jesus said come on now Peter's the only one who had the boldness to ask and he's the only one that got the boldness to step out of the boat and we, we, we condemn him for his lack of faith but he got out of the boat as far as I know the only man other than Christ Jesus to actually defy gravity and walk on water but then something happened to Peter he got his eyes on the wind, the Bible said he saw the wind. I don't know how you see the wind, but he saw the wind, the waves and the things around him. You know what happened? He got his eyes off the plan, and he began to sink, and he cried out to the Lord, Lord, save me. And you know what happened? He reached down, pulled him back up, and said, you didn't have to fear, Peter. I'm the plan. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. See, Peter didn't have a backup plan to get out of the boat. He didn't have a backup plan when he started sinking. I want to do something special today if you'll allow me before we start singing. Thank you for being ready. But I would like, I want I want some of my ministry and I know we're missing some today and thank for all those that braved the freezing cold of which I was not happy to do this morning but thank you did everybody else. Welcome to Michigan in January. 
Alex, I want you, if you want to call you, I want you to just come stand right, I want you to just come stand right here in the line. Give me Alex, give me Josh, give me Matt, give me Jake. Brother Eric Kleiman is downstairs with the children. Brother Michael Crenshaw is with his father at the hospital. Brother Dave Grant is out of town. Uh, Brother Chris Wright, don't you come. I want you boys, I want you, I want you fellas just to stand right here. Just kind of get shoulder to shoulder. And I want you to turn and I want you to look at me. Actually, you know what? I want you to look at the congregation. And I know I think, I think, did I, did I get any other, Jake? I pulled you out of the drum cage, didn't I? Oh, how's that song going to work without drums? Well, Jake, we're going to dismiss you here in just a minute. Ministers, some licensed, some prospective, some not licensed. Doesn't make you any more or less of a preacher. It just shows some of your commitment to a cause, to an organization, to a uh, a set path, if you will. But I want to say to this church, I, I, every one of these ministers that are standing here and those that I've already called that are not here, and I don't think I'm missing. If I am, man, somebody throw your hand up and say, man, Pastor, I preached six times here. Okay. I'm scanning. I don't want to, I don't want to miss it. You know what it is? You start naming people. But I want to say from this pulpit that I back every one of these men and their ministries. I stand behind every one of them. But gentlemen, I need to know from you. And you need to declare to everybody else that God called you. Has God called you to minister this gospel? Has he called you to something that is beyond the ordinary. He's called you to these things, gentlemen. <clears throat> He's telling you, I need you to go and do a work. He may be telling you to go ahead of him. Go to a place, do this, and then I'll show up. But if you're dragging your feet, might be some storms coming your way. Jonah, he had a plan B. He had a backup plan. It didn't work real well. I want to tell every one of these you, you preachers that are here. I want you to look at. I want you to look at your pastor, and I, I am your pastor, just as what I believe the Holy Ghost made me an overseer. There is no backup plan. If God called you to a work, He'll finish. Matter of fact, Paul says it this way, be confident of this very thing, that he which began the work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. Now, I may not always be a pastor. I may have to walk down the other side of the pulpit when my time has come to, fulfill, to be done with that. But if God's commissioned you and he's called you, there is no backup plan. Live like there's no backup plan. Preach like there's no backup plan. Rely on God like there's no backup plan. And to some of you who might be called into a further, into a deeper experience like, Pat, like Peter jumping out of the boat and walking on the water. Maybe you're going to be a pastor. Maybe you're going to be a missionary or an evangelist. And you step out. And ever since you stepped out, it started good. Started good. 
good, Bishop. You hear me in the Holy Ghost. Started good. Woo, that first year and a half, two years, my God. But the wind's still going to blow. You stood here, Pastor, and talked about 150 soul revival. Hmm. How's that working for you? I got one thing to say to the naysayer. It's still the plan. But you know what happens when the wind howls? And you know what your pastor's had to do in recent days and even months? And you know what he's had to do? He's had to stand his ground. And though the wind is blowing, and though there's all kinds of threatenings and all kinds of things that say, oh, no, 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 no. No, you, you started walking on the water, but man, don't forget that I'll huff and I'll puff and I'll blow your house down. I want to encourage every one of you, if you've got to step out into a deeper calling or into a deeper place, you still need to walk out of there knowing there is no backup plan. There is still no backup plan. I stand here before this congregation and I tell this church, I am going to pastor this church as if there's no backup plan. I'm not, I am going to pastor this church like there's no backup plan. I've got no backup plan. I rely on the goodness of God for my livelihood, for everything I spend, everything I eat, everything I drive, everywhere that I can go. I am totally dependent on God. I have no backup plan. That doesn't mean I don't look to the future and say, hey, let's be smart. No, I, you know what I'm talking about. I have no backup plan. And I want every one of you to know there's no backup plan. If God's called you to it, he does not have a backup plan. There's a reason and a purpose for every season under heaven. A time to get and a time to lose. A time for uh, a time for a drought and a time for rain. A oh, time to live and a time to die. Now I want to say to the church, will the church stand with me and then we're going to sing this song. I want to say to this church, I've said it to our ministers and to those who are not here, watch it online. I feel the same way about all of you. To the church, I'm just going to say what the Lord already said to one, to his church in the last days. In Revelation, he said, you say that you're rich and increase with goods and you have need of nothing. But actually, you're wretched, you're miserable, you're poor, you're blind, and you're naked. The Lord said, I counsel you. There's only one thing that stands. It's only the counsel of the Lord that will stand. That's it. Only his plan is what stands. I counsel you that if you're going to have any gold, you're going to get it from me. And it's going to be gold that's tried in the fire. And if you're going to be clothed, you're going to be clothed with my raiment. And if you're going to be able to see, it's because I'm going to give you the eye salve. You see, the Laodicean church had a lot of backup plans. They had a lot of things that they ascribed a power to deliver. I've got this, we got this. We have need of nothing, he said, but oh... I wrote something in my notes maybe two years ago that the Lord reminded me of the day and I went back and found the book that I wrote it in. And here's what the Lord said. The issue with the modern church, I don't know why I didn't say it two years ago, I guess because it has to be said today. 
The issue with the modern church is that Jesus has become part of what the church offers instead of all that the church has to offer. Oh, where would we be if we started living our lives according to the plan that there is no backup plan? I'm not against any ministry in this church, but when our ministry starts to supersede that that is more to offer than the Lord, I love the singing and I want you to sing, but when your voice becomes more that you more becomes more what you offer than the presence of Lord of the Lord in your life, we're in the wrong place. Church, I'm telling you, we cannot no longer live as a, as a, as a body of Christ that just that just offers Jesus as a part of what we have. I wonder if there's anybody in your spirit with reckless abandonment. You can move from your seat right now and you can say, Lord, I no longer want you to be a part of what I have to offer. I want you to be all that I have to offer. To be all that I have to offer. There is no backup plan for saving the lost. There is no backup plan for go and make disciples. There's no backup plan for being a blessing. The treasure is still in the field. We've got to sow, we've got to reap, we've got to plant, and we've got to water. And I say this to this church, do it any way that you want to. But as for me and my house, there is no backup plan. That's it. Come on, all over this building. I dare somebody, I dare all of you to put all your eggs in one basket and you begin to pray and praise and seek and trust Him as if He is the only source of your hope. of the Lord.